Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Let me take this opportunity just to commit this time into the Lord's hands. Amen. Heavenly Father, truly we thank you that you are such a good God. That, Lord, you have um, taken us out of darkness, Lord, and translated us into your glorious kingdom, your glorious light, so that we can see clearly. And it's such a privilege, Lord. We come to you today, Lord, to be instructed by you, to learn more of you to be challenged by you, to be comforted by you, Lord. We know that as we approach your your word, Lord Jesus, that it can do all those things and more. And so our desire, Lord, is that even now that you would um, open up the eyes of our understanding, Lord, to receive from you, to block out, if it's humanly possible, Lord, all the things we may be going through in our personal lives, Lord, so that we can have an open channel to hear from you, Lord Jesus. And so that is our desire. Um, It may be just a simple word that you softly speak to our inner being, Lord, which makes all the difference, Lord. And, and, um, Lord, we're open to that today, to hear from you. So have your way, I pray, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you, family. You know, Sunday, since we've been doing the two services as well, generally I get here quite early and it just seems like the day takes forever for me to get to this point. It's like I'm there twitching in the corner. It's like my heart's pounding and I'm just feeling nervous and everything. So we're here again. If I start stumbling my words, forgive me. But... um. It's exciting to be going through the book of Ephesians. Um, The Lord has reminded me of a lot of things and shown me a lot of things and shown me some new and wonderful things in his word, which I just have not seen before. And um, I hope he's been doing that for you as well as you've been tracking alongside. Um, So if you're visiting here for, for the first time, we are going through the book of Ephesians. We are in chapter three. And last week we considered a number of things. And we considered the fact that after all that Paul had said regarding Jews and Gentiles being one, that walls of separation had been broken down, you know, Paul wanted to have a, he wanted to have a personal response to what God had done in the lives of these Gentiles, but what God had done in his own life. And he wanted to respond in prayer. But as I said last week, he put on the brakes. He, he had to pause because he wasn't sure if those if Ephesian believers actually quite got what he was saying. And so he added a parenthesis, open brackets, close brackets. 
And within the parentheses, what he actually does is he goes back over all the stuff he's basically already said. And we considered last week that we're like little children. Repetition is good. That's how we learn, by repetition, repetition, repetition. And so I hope that you see that it's not tedious for us to be going over the same things which Paul's going over. But um, there's great blessing in it. And so Paul emphasized the fact that, you know, this new relationship of Jew and Gentile working together, coming together as one, as the church, was a new thing which God had hidden throughout all the ages. And Paul spoke of, of him being a steward. He was given the stewardship over the grace which God has given it, had given him and to understand and reveal the mystery of the church, the mystery of this dispensation of grace. And within that, we looked at and was challenged to see how we actually, um, how we are stewards over the things God has placed before us. You know, the gifts and callings of God, the Bible says, are, are without repentance. So if he's blessed you with a gift... He's not going to say, well, you're not using it for my glory, so I'm going to take it back. But we have a responsibility to use that for God's glory. Amen? And so we looked at the fact that somewhere along the line, God will expect a return from his investment. And whether that's 30, 60, or 100-fold, God by calling you unto himself, by calling you into his kingdom, didn't just call us to warm seats. He called us for a specific plan and a specific purpose. And if you were here earlier, it was just so encouraging to hear, don't want to embarrass you, Jade, but just to hear Jade, her testimony. She's been saved eight weeks, five weeks. Who was it? Tracy was eight weeks. Five weeks, and just to hear her say that even at her young, tender age, she feels like her her life has purpose now. It has purpose. You know, and of all the people on planet Earth, the church should be the ones who know that we have a purpose. But we don't live like that. Many of us live defeated lives. Oh, me. Oh my, I have so much drama in my life, I cannot cope. And the Lord is saying, do you know what? I've given you everything you need. I've given you my spirit in order to come any obstacle, any situation which may be presented to you. Paul even got to that place and he said, Lord, I've petitioned you three times. And the Lord said, you know what, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace. You know, a beautiful word which we even call our children, grace. But to really understand God's grace, his unmerited, undeserved favor, yo, that is deep. Not to use it just casually, but to really think about it, grace. And... That is the essence of all what Paul's trying to communicate here. It's 
get a grasp, get a grip of God's grace. Because if you really understand God's grace, it will propel you. It will move you. You would want to respond. And so anyway, without me going any further down that road, let us look at the text. We finished at verse 4 last week, but in order just to keep the flow, let's start again from verse 2, and I'm going to finish at verse 14. Everyone at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2? Amen? Amen. Okay. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am least than the who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So again, just to try and capture it, Paul wanted to respond in prayer. And he starts off in verse um, 1, and then there's no action, there's no doing word. And so he puts in this parenthesis. And then we get to verse 14, and then we have the action. Now he's going to actually pray. But But today we're considering the parentheses, the in-between. And from verse 4, which I said, uh, verse 5, sorry, we see that verse 5 actually defines the mystery, and then verse 6 goes on to describe what the mystery of Christ is. Verse 5 says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, to his holy apostles and prophets. So, again, we looked at how the prophets of old, they desired to look into this great plan of God, the mystery of the ages. But they could only see, as I've said over the last couple of weeks, two mountain peaks. They, they thought they could see two messiahs. Messiah ben Joseph, Messiah ben David. They didn't see that it was one Messiah, two comings. And they couldn't see the church age in between. 
And Peter speaks of this. He says that of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully in 1 Peter 1, uh, chapter 1, and verse 10, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, that is to us, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through, through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. And so the prophets of old, they search diligently, carefully to find out exactly God, what are you going to do? The angels didn't even understand what God was going to do. And now it fascinates me that we are the church. We are working members of what God was planning to do. And it seems like, well, well Lord, are you, are you going to actually pull this off? Is this whole thing going to work? Because, you know, you look at the church and the church doesn't really look so strong. The church doesn't look like something which was hidden, but now it's like, wow, I've arrived. Everybody look at me, the church. Not me, the church, but we, the church. You don't get the sense that people are looking and thinking, the church, yo, that was, that was the mystery hidden from the ages which prophets desired to look into. It just doesn't make sense. In the natural. But there is something deeper than the natural going on here. Spiritually, God has given us a position which is Far above principalities and powers. Positionally, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. As the book of Ephesians says a time and time and time again. Positionally, we are one thing. But experientially, it may not be quite working out that way. It may not look like that. There's a lot of work to do in our lives. That's why the scripture says that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because we have to somehow get our, work, our walk matched up with our position. To know who we are in Christ. And this revelation, which doesn't really seem so deep, doesn't really seem so effective, especially in 2011... You know, it was hidden in God, and God used the apostles and prophets to, to search out these things and to minister these things so that we could understand them. And it's only by the Spirit of God which, you know, the revelation could have come. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. Why? For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. 
For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may, might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. It's a, an amazing privilege to have our eyes opened to see, wow, Lord, is this what is really going on in the world? Is this really my responsibility, the responsibility I have to you, my creator? Before I was walking blind, living blind, but now, wow, you've revealed that to me by your spirit. It's a heavy revelation, but it's something we could easily discard and not really think about. So, the spirit of God revealed the mysteries of the church, but he revealed the mysteries of the church to God's new appointed ministers, the apostles and prophets. And the word, the, the phrase has now been revealed is written is what is in what is called the noon eris tense. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but it is time specific meaning that it was revealed at a specific time in history it was hidden before but has now been revealed to the apostles to the prophets and as I said before it was revealed by a specific channel the Holy Spirit and revealed to specific people or a specific person the apostles and the prophets and this is an interesting topic because it's speaking about apostles and prophets in the primary or greater sense the ones who Jesus specifically chose and called as his apostles and prophets, the ones who were there as eyewitnesses from the beginning um, and saw his resurrection, the ones who he authorized to teach and to preach, the ones who he authorized to actually pen scripture. So apostles and prophets in the primary or greater sense, which means that there are no apostles and prophets in this sense, anymore. We still have apostles and prophets in the lesser sense, but we don't have apostles and prophets who are there penning scripture. And you know, we have to be careful with this because when we're getting into spiritual things, Like Star Wars, there is the dark side as well as the good side. And when people start calling themselves apostles and prophets, and they want to claim it that they have the same standing as 
the Apostle Paul or Peter or James and John, we know that they're going to be leading you astray. And so we have to be careful. Again, we do have apostles and prophets, as well as evangelists and pastors and teachers, you know, all in this lesser sense, because that is how the church was established in the first place by the apostles and prophets, but then how it's continued by the ministry of the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And that's why we're here today. Somewhere along the line, somebody shared a word with us. They evangelized. We're here today being taught the word. On Fridays we go out and we preach the word. The word is going forth. And so, apostles and prophets, in the greater sense, eyewitnesses of the resurrection, those who Jesus specifically called and sent out. So, the mystery described in verse 5 is now specifically articulated in verse 6. It says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Again, we have to just cast our minds back to the fact that there was this great wall of separation which divided Jews and Gentiles. And God has torn down that wall of separation. And brought, and brought Jew and Gentile together as one. And so Paul is really hitting this hard. And he's saying that the mystery of Christ is this complete union and oneness of Gentiles and Jews with each other in Christ. It only happens in Christ. So therefore, in Christ, we, we lose our national identity. In Christ, we should lose our cultural identity to, a, to an extent because we are in Christ. Christ now should be our, our identity. But again, many of us want to hold on to the fact that I'm a Jamaican. <laughs> but I was born in England. And I know this one's going to get a good laugh. Or I'm a Ghanaian or a Nigerian. Ooh. We hold on to these things, and we shouldn't. And Paul basically lists out these blessings that because God has made two one, and that we have come together, that we should be unified. And what he goes on to say in verse 6 is that the Gentiles, you know, and he prefixes this with this Greek word, which is sin, S-Y-N. And it says that the, Jew, the Gentiles should be together with the Jews or fellow heirs. Meaning that we share the same inheritance. That the Gentiles are together with or of the same body. So we have this common life principle. And that the Gentiles are together with or partakers of his promise. We have the same blessings available to us. And all this has been made possible because we are all together in Christ Jesus and it has happened through the gospel. And so what Paul is actually saying here is that the mystery and the gospel, they have this special connection. In, in the fact that the mystery 
is truth which, is, which was hidden, which is now revealed, and the gospel is truth now being proclaimed. For example, in the book of Isaiah, you know, Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7, Isaiah says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so within this verse, what we actually have is good news. Good news being revealed by the prophet Isaiah. And it is truth being proclaimed. But now, as we come through the cross, by revelation, you know, Paul gets a deeper revelation of what this is actually trying to communicate. And so now we look in Romans chapter 10 and verse 8. If you'd like to turn in there with your Bibles, please. And when you're there, you can say amen. That's very slow. Are you there? Okay. I didn't hear many pages flicking over there. I saw lots of phones being programmed. Okay, Romans chapter, eight, chapter 10, verse 8. So this message which Isaiah was, was preaching about good news, Paul now says, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Do you see how the Spirit, just by revelation, just kind of like brings out more richness through the cross? Because this is now being fulfilled. We have this good news. We can be saved. We don't have to follow ordinances in order to find our right standing with God. We don't have to, you know, if we commit a sin, go to a priest and say, is that a bull? Is it a turtle dove? Is, is it a, you know, how many sheep do I have to bring? It's good news. It's near you. It's in your mouth, in your heart. Confess the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. A promise. But it's a conditional promise because you have to confess the Lord Jesus. You have to believe him in, in your heart. Otherwise, you don't get the promise. You're not going to be saved. It's beautiful. But you see, 
when you're reading through your Bibles and you see the center reference and you have, you have those references back to the Old Testament, you just got to look back sometimes and see how God has fulfilled those verses through the cross. Given us promises through the cross. And seeing how the Holy Spirit worked through the apostles and the prophets in order to reveal these things. It's beautiful. So Paul was given this greater understanding of Isaiah's words. You know, not in a high-fluted way. You know, he knew the mysteries of God. They were revealed by God's spirit to him. He wasn't puffed up in it. But he saw the need that what had been given to him, he needed to share that with others. The message just wasn't for him. You know, that water needed to be flowing. And we know about stagnant water, it eventually begins to smell. And so Paul just wanted to pour out all the things he knew so that he could bless these believers in Ephesus, but also for us 2,000 years removed could be blessed also. And so from speaking about the mysteries, you know, Paul then in verse 7 begins to focus on himself and his own ministry in connection with the mystery. When he says, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So, Paul first became a minister, or he was made a minister. And the Greek word for minister here is diakonos, which actually means to be a waiter or a servant. And again, you know, there are many ministries where people are in positions of leadership, and that's wonderful because God has given us leadership. But in the true sense of the word, if you are a minister of the word, you should be a servant. You should be a waiter. That's how you should consider yourself. Not there waiting to be served. Jesus even showed us the example. He washed the disciples' feet. And he said, if I can do this to you and I'm your master, you can do it with each other. And again, it's like the church has this twisted way of just interpreting the scriptures. We, we, we put ministers and leaders on pedestals. And I'm not saying we shouldn't um, value the office because we should. But in a sense, we're ministers with greater responsibility. And the Bible says, you know, don't, don't many of you desire to be, become teachers of the word because you're going to incur a stricter punishment. And so that's scary from this side of the pulpit. So Paul was a servant. And... Again, this is exactly how he saw himself. We looked at stewardship last week. Paul was a servant. He was a steward. It was like, here are my Lord, use me. And it wasn't, but use me in this way and use me in that way because they're the ways I like. It was, 
use me. Oh, but Paul, I'm going to send you into prison, use me. Oh, but Paul, you're going to get um, whipped and you're going to get stoned and you're going to get beaten and you're going to get shipwrecked, use me. You know, the attitude of, of the apostles and prophets, you know, the early church believers were, were, it's just humbling because the things which kind of like set off us, us off track today pale into insignificance when we see what these guys were going through. Paul was a servant. He was a minister. And... As we looked at last week, in verse 2, um, the gift of grace was given to Paul to understand the mystery of the gospel and act upon it. And now in verse 7, the second part, verse um, 7b, the gift of the grace of God given to him was given to share, as I said before, to share the message with others. The message is to be shared. It's good news. And I'm excited by the fact that we, as a church, not all of us get out there to to do it, but as a church, we're going out and proclaiming the gospel. The guys are in Brixton. They're making that effort to actually do that. But we don't have to go out to Brixton. You know, we can be at work. We could be at college. We don't have to preach a sermon to those who are around us. We could just share a word. Why? Oh, how come you don't come out with the rest of us? Oh, because I have these other convictions. Who knows where the conversation could lead from there? It was humbling just to hear what Pastor Ephraim was saying about the, the prayer requests of those young people yesterday. Because externally, you pass them in the street and you're scared of them. You're intimidated by the way they just act with each other. But the deeper cries of their heart is... Lord, forgive me for what I'm doing and what I'm about to do. Lord, I don't want to be like this. Help me to find a way. You know, they're, they're the, the inner cryings of their heart. And unless we, the church, actually share the good news with them and, and try to guide them in the right way, they're never going to know. They're always going to be lost. And so Paul, you know, he knew that this this message, I have to share it. I have to encourage. You know, these guys in Ephesus, I may not be right next to them, but I have to, I have to write letters to encourage these guys. I have to do all that I can do so that they can know that God loves them, that God cares for them. And he goes on to say that the message that he wants to, sh- to share, he's able to share by the effective working of his power. The same power which was in Paul was in them. The same power which was in them is in us. You know, I don't always feel like I've got God's power. But again, I do. I have Christ living within me. And I have his power. And, you know, many weeks ago, I kind of had this play on words about God's power. But again, that's exactly what he's saying here. God is saying to Paul that you've got my power. When you share the message, I'm going to back it with my power, you know, with my effective working power, my energia dunamis power. 
And the funny thing about when we share our faith with others, sometimes it's hard just to get it going. But once you start and you're engaged in conversation, it's like, it's like you're energized. It's like it's power. You just you become like a rabbit. You just can't stop. Does anybody get like that? You just got to start. And then when you see the response and people who don't really know the Lord come back with their questions, you say, and it's just like what you've been reading just goes bing and bing. And, you know, you see how the Lord is just working all this stuff out, how the studying you have done, how he's revealed himself to you through his word. Now he's using it to minister. Now, you may never ever see that person come to Christ. But Corinthians says, you know, one person sows, another person waters, but ultimately, it's God who gives the increase. And so we shouldn't be farmers sowing, always expecting to see that harvest. You know, you sharing a word with someone tomorrow, they may go back to Brazil and start up a big, massive, huge church. You may never see it. But it's our responsibility, like Paul, to share our faith, to communicate it. And communicate it not in like, oh, yeah, we're children of God. But to have humility. To know that, again, it's by grace we have been saved through faith. And not of ourselves. It is that gift of God. Something we can only freely receive. It's God's grace. And Paul wants to highlight this humility here because he indeed was grateful for the fact that he was saved. He didn't want to take his salvation for granted. You know, he didn't want to just think, I'm saved. I've been out here doing this work for the Lord. Now I can just kick back and do my own thing. No. You know, Paul basically looked from where the Lord had taken him from and what the Lord had done in his life to where the Lord was going to take him, and he was humbled. And, you know, as we look at Paul's life, he says, he says in verse 8, to me who am less than the least of all the saints... Now, if you don't know much about Paul or Saul, which his name was before, he persecuted the church. And he persecuted the church enthusiastically. And, you know, that's, that's interesting because before, before we, we, we come to Christ, you know, did we have a lifestyle where we pursued things enthusiastically? I loved raving. I pursued that enthusiastically. Where was the new rave? Was it here? Was it there? I will drive for miles. Designer wear. Nothing wrong with clothes, but you know... You're enthusiastic, you get the magazines and everything, you're enthusiastic about, you know, 
material things. And Paul, he was enthusiastic about his faith. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. What? Church? What? That's not of God. We're going to stomp that out. And you know what? God, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to kill these Christians. I'm going to persecute them. And that's what he did. Again, thinking he was doing God a favor. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But again, he, he talks about this grace, undeserved favor. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What I did is what I did. I can't change it. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Lord, you know when you saved me, it wasn't in vain, you know. Because I'm not taking this grace for granted. It was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul's attitude was heavy. He was ashamed of his past actions, which we could say he did in ignorance, but now he humbly embraces the responsibility of being an apostle. And again, another interesting thought is because God has taken many of us from grim situations. Some of us have more shady backgrounds than others. And God, in his goodness, in his grace, has rescued us from those lifestyles. And, you know, Paul looks back and he thinks, oh man, I persecuted God's people. I persecuted and I was trying to hinder what God was doing. And, oh, I'm so ashamed. And, you know, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I just feel so bad about my actions. And, you know, do we have the same attitude about our BC before Christ? Do we have that? Do we look back and think, wow, I used to be so bad. I used to be so terrible. I was a horror show. I was mean to people. I was horrible. I, God, I just, I just sinned against you willfully. I didn't care. If you were like me, you took drugs, womanized. I mean, our backgrounds, do we look back and think, I was that, but now, Lord, you have made me this. And because I'm this, I want to be more for you. Do we look, or do we just think, well, that was just my life? We can lose track of where we come from sometimes. What God has rescued us from. Paul knew where he was coming from. And it was like, you know what? I persecuted your people. I'm going to work harder than anybody else. Not to get my salvation, but because of what you've done in my life. And you know what? He wanted these Ephesian believers. And, it, and the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, wants us to have the same attitude also. That 
we wouldn't take our salvation for granted. That we wouldn't take grace for granted. That we, it would propel us. It would drive us to be all that the Lord wants us to be. And so, in Paul's life, we see this personal humility and the appreciation for salvation coupled along with this personal responsibility as he functioned as an, uh, as an apostle. And he then describes how by grace he was instructed by God with the purpose of preaching the gospel. You know, Paul knew what he should be doing. He says, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, you, you read that, you think, well, if it's unsearchable, how can you preach it? And again, it's, in a sense, it's like if we aim for nothing, we're bound to hit nothing. But if, we, if we're aiming for the searchable riches of Christ, which to a degree are unsearchable, we're going to get more of a knowledge and understanding of Christ. It's like trying to understand the unsearchable, but it's searchable. Trying to understand the unfathomable, but it's fathomable. Does that make sense? The unfathomable riches of Christ. Riches only made available because of the cross. It's to... Know the riches of us being one in Christ. Having his spirit. Having an inheritance. Having our eternal destiny made secure. Having his spirit live within us. Understanding why Jesus came. Understanding his purpose and our purpose. It's like... All of these things are like searchable riches, but in and of themselves, they're unsearchable. I mean, to fully understand the cross, what Christ actually did on the cross. We understand it to a degree, but can we really understand it? Do we really get to the point where we say, we know all there is to know about the cross? I don't think we get there. And that's what's so amazing about perhaps eternity because we could just start, keep being blown away by God as he reveals, you know what, when that happened, this is what, what it did. And when I did that, this is what it happened in the spiritual realm and this is what it meant for all eternity. And you're like, whoa. Remember, eye has not seen and ear has not heard the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We just can't comprehend it. It's going to be out there. And God desires that we try to search out, which in a sense seems unsearchable. And he says, to make all see, in verse 9, what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. So he's going back and forth saying these things are just hidden. He's saying, God the Father, this mystery, which doesn't seem like much of a mystery in 2011, it was hidden in God. It was his plan of the ages, which he purposed within himself. And he wants to do it to make all see. 
And so when we read that, we have to think that the father's audience, the people he wants to see all this, is both the material realm and the physical realm. Because he wants to make all see. And this will make more sense as we go on. And the word see here means to be totally enlightened. And he wants us all to see something in particular. The fellowship of the mystery. And what's the fellowship of the mystery? Which is that the church, made up of both Jews and Gentiles, again, repeating himself, should work together as one in a practical way. In order to enlighten the material world and the spiritual world about the good news of the gospel. And again, how does the church do this? We do this through preaching, we do this through teaching, we do this through praying. And we do this by practically outworking Christ in our lives. Jesus is real to me. And in so many ways, God, by doing this, went back to the original mandate in Exodus. In Exodus, chapter 19 or chapter 20, um, God desired that the whole of Israel was going to be a nation of priests before him. And he came down and he said, prepare yourself because I want the whole of you to, to present yourself to me. And he wanted the nation of Israel to be a nation of priests so that they would go around and they would declare his word, declare his truth to all the other nations. But when they saw the thunder and the lightning and the thick clouds coming down, they said to Moses, 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 oh, we're scared of God. You go to God. You hear what God has to say, and then you come back, and you tell us what God's saying, and then we'll do it, yeah? And so we see after that that God changed from wanting the whole nation to be a nation of priests, and he chose Levi. But now it's like he wants to do something here. He wants, he wants the church to declare to the whole world. So it's like he's going back to this original mandate, that the church should declare to the whole world the good news of the gospel he wants the church to be that light in the whole world so that so that we're just being little lights just telling people about god about jesus and from what he goes on to say in the next verse it intrigues me because he goes on in verse 10 he says the reason why he, he uses the church is to the intent that now, again, that, that word, in this present church age, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So, whoa, what's going on here? Somehow, God wants to use his church, you and me, to declare something to principalities and powers. That is deep. 
This little humble old church, which seems insignificant, seems like it has no power. You want to use that church to declare something to mighty principalities and powers. Doesn't make sense. But God has chosen it this way. It says, you know, I want to show the whole angelic host, angels and demons, my manifold and diverse, diverse wisdom. And he does it so that he can get the glory. Now we could say, again, so that you can get the glory. Yeah, glory is something which is mine and I deserve. And I'm God. And if I want it, I'm going to have it. And none of us can say, God, you are wrong to deserve glory. And when we think about these things, who remembers the verse um, in the Gospels where it talks about that all of heaven rejoices when one person comes to salvation? I mean, this makes sense to me now. This makes sense to me now. Like, oh, when one person comes into salvation, into relationship with God, the whole of heaven rejoices. It's like the spiritual realm now looks and thinks, oh, the demons think, oh, not another one. And the angels of God think, yay, another one has got it. So our little insignificant lives actually mean something spiritually, in the spiritual realm. It's like God wants to brag about his church. You know, in meditating on this, I was just thinking how, and I'm going to go over time, I was just thinking how Satan, you know, he, what was the five I wills? I would ascend into the clouds, you know, I would send, have my throne above God's, you know, I would ascend into the sides of the north, you know, I will, I will, I will, and God says, no, you won't. Pride was set in his heart. He wanted all these things. He wanted to be like God. And God says, no, that's not going to happen. And then however, you, however you, you, you calculate time and where it starts and where it doesn't, I don't know how you, how you guys... But God decides he's going to create a man. Put him in a garden. And basically say, the things what he wanted, I'm kind of going to give it to you. Just give it to you. In a roundabout way. And so Satan comes in and says, boy, I'm going to mash this up. I'm going to get those guys to sin. And then, it's all, and then God's plans is going to be messed up and everything's going to be in my favor. And I'll get what I want because I'll get all these people to worship me. And God says in his wisdom, which he purposed in himself from the beginning, I'm going to use this messed up situation... To declare to you, Satan, and your fallen demons, my manifold wisdom. That is deep. I'm going to use this whole scenario, which you think is going to be to your benefit, to show you that I am God. My wisdom is far above anything you can think of. That's why he even uses uses the picture of Jesus being a lamb. A lamb. Why not, you know, why a lamb? It looks so insignificant. Meh, meh. (laughs) But God says, I'll use that weak-looking lamb to show you my greatness. 
He says to Moses, Moses, I want you to stand before, before Pharaoh. But I got nothing. I mean, he put my, I, 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 I got, 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 got nothing. Because he, sta- he sta- sta- stammered, didn't he? <laughs> st- st- stammered, didn't he? <laughs> but he says to Moses, what's that in your hand? I've got a rod. I'll use it. What you got in your hand? What do you have in your life which God could use so that he can use you to declare to the spiritual realm, which Paul's going to get into in a couple of chapters, that you know what? What you have is rich. What you have is actually powerful. What you have, you may feel is insignificant, but you know what? It is mighty in God. Not in your own strength, in his strength. But you two working as a team, you know, one man with God is a majority. And so, the mystery of the church, the unveiling of the church, again, it seems like it's an unsearchable thing which we need to try and search out. What is the meaning of the church? But God wants to use it to the intent that he would demonstrate something in the spiritual realm. So the mystery itself, its concealment and its eventual disclosure and the manner in which the church would exhibit the wisdom of God are all, as I said before, verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, why God decided to be so technical and use someone like the Apostle Paul to repeat himself and then repeat himself and say the same thing and the same thing and the same, I don't know. Why he, choo- why he chose for life to be panned out this way, I don't know. I can only echo what it says in Deuteronomy 29, 20. The secret things, they belong to God. Psalms 1, 139. Father, your wisdom is too much for me. I can get a grasp of it and I can try searching it and understand it, but ultimately, I don't get it. You're God. And whatever you say is like, yes and amen. And we know that if all these things are according to his eternal purpose, which he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, you know, we could have full confidence that whatever he's begun in our lives, he's faithful to complete. He's faithful to complete, and it's in him we have this boldness and this access with confidence through faith in him. That we can stand in victory, having, all to, having done all to stand, we stand. You know, when it starts talking about the armor, you know, there's, there's nothing which protects our backs, Because God always wants us to be on the advance, moving forward, moving forward. He wants to take us from one aspect of glory to another aspect of glory to another aspect of glory to glory to glory to glory. glory. Moving forward in him. And so Paul wants us to be encouraged. He wanted these Ephesian believers to be encouraged. And he says, therefore, I ask that you, you know, you do not lose heart at my tribulations. 
my tribulation is for you, which is for your glory. You know, and again, for me, I read this and I think, that's a bit strange you even saying that, Paul. I mean, they could look at him and say, Paul, you're writing all this stuff and it sounds good and I know I should be encouraged, but you're in prison. Like, what help are you? It's not a great example. It's like this thing has led you to prison. Come on, Paul. And the fact is, Paul's imprisonment did not hinder him in any way. He was a prisoner of Rome, but more than that, he was a prisoner of Christ. He was suffering, but, you know, as we go through the the, the New Testament, you know, suffering is is generally always coupled along together with glory. They oftentimes go hand in hand. And when we suffer, you know, I'm always reminded of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, where it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Think it not strange if we go through difficult times. You know, Jesus went through suffering. The disciples went through suffering. So why should we think that we shouldn't go through suffering? It's our attitude within the suffering, which is the key. Paul was prepared to pay any price in order to fulfill God's purpose for his life, but also to make sure that these people he felt like he had a responsibility over, that he was doing all that he could do to encourage them. And again, it's an interesting thought that in verse 13, you know, he takes this different angle. He, it, his suffering was somehow going to bring them glory. He was suffering on their behalf. Again, so convinced about his mission that he would pay any price. And it's because of all these things that now Paul feels like he can get to the place to say, now for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, for you Gentiles, bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the very reason that God is working out his plan. We are moving forward in time towards Christ's return. That's a reality. Yesterday is gone. And the, Paul wants us to make sure that we're in that, this place where we can receive all of God's benefits, all of God's promises, that we would really stop in a sense, playing church and start being the church. And that means different things for different people because we're all at different stages within our walk. 
for some of us, you know, it may mean making yourself more accountable to, some, to, to other people. For some of us, you know, it may be digging into the word a bit more. For others, it could be the whole prayer lifestyle. You're not praying. You're not communicating with the Father. For some of us, you know, it's the whole fellowship. He who isolates himself seeks his own gain. So it's not about isolation because we've been reading about how God wants us to work together as one and he wants us, you know, to be unified. So it's going to mean different things to different people. But whatever it means to you, you know, God is looking for a response. And the question we leave ourselves with today is, are we prepared to respond to God? Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can endeavor, we can try to search out the riches of your word, Lord, and and sometimes, you know, it's plain and it's simple, and other times, you know, it's cryptic, and we need your Holy Spirit, Lord, to help us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that wherever we're at individually today, that, Lord, um, the things which are hindering us from drawing close to you, the things which are preventing us from studying to show ourselves approved unto you, Lord, that, that Lord, we will make that decision, Lord, to, to put them to one side, to focus on you and allow you to have free reign in our lives. We do thank you for another day of your grace, Lord, your undeserved favor, Lord, where we can just be a blessing to each other, Lord. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that, you know, your word will just resonate within our hearts and within our minds, that we will leave this place challenged and not the same as we entered, Lord. That is our desire. That is your desire as well, Lord. And, um, Lord, I just pray that we freshly commit ourselves to you again today. In Jesus' name, amen.